Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. So today we're going to continue in our series of messages where we are talking about loving our church. And I want to share with you today about uh, God's design for how the church is supposed to work. Now, the thing that I shared with you last week is that God gives us different pictures in his word of what his church is supposed to be in the world. Uh, we tend to see the church kind of through the lens of institutionalism, and so we, we, we look at this big cathedral or this... Uh, this headquarters or and these buildings and everything and we tend to think you know that that is the church but that's that's not primarily in fact those things are only tools the true church is a living organism it's not an organization it's a living organism and it's made up of people who are true believers in Jesus Christ who have committed themselves to him who have surrendered their lives to him and he has become the Savior and Lord of their lives. People who have done that are born again, and they're part of God's church. But God does give us some pictures in his word to help us understand how the church is to relate to itself and what we are to be in the world. Uh, he, he gives us several pictures, actually. He calls the church the body of Christ. And so we, we all can identify with that. We Each of us have a body in here. And, and uh, it, we have ears and eyes and hands and toes. And they all do different things. And so he teaches us through that that uh, each of us have a place now, some of us in this, in this uh, room are, are the eyes of the body of Christ in this local fellowship. Some of you are perhaps the ears of the body of Christ. You're the hands of the body, whatever it might be. So we understand the term body. He also uses terms like the bride of Christ, defining, giving us a picture of what the church is to be. Uh, the one that I focused on last week is the term family. And, and Throughout uh, the New Testament, you'll see oftentimes the church being referred to, God's people being referred to as a part of the family of Jesus Christ or the family of God. Let me just give you a few verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now you are no longer strangers to God. Aren't you glad? You're no longer foreigners to heaven, but now you are members of God's very only what? Family. Citizens of God's country and you belong to God's household with every other Christian. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8, you should be like one big, happy, what? Family, full of sympathy towards one another, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Galatians 6, 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the what? Family of believers. And so we get this idea that the church is not primarily an organization or an institution. The church is primarily made up, it's a living organism that's made up of people who are in relationship, familial relationship with one another. Now, 
We talk a lot about the subject of family in our culture today, and one of the buzz terms that's used a lot is this term called dysfunctional family. You've heard of that. We have dysfunctional families in the world. That, this is a dysfunctional family, that's a dysfunctional family, whatever. What I have lived long enough to kind of get the idea that we're all kind of dysfunctional. <laughs> you know, all of us are. And, 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 and the reason for that is because we've all been touched by sin, and sin has broken all of us. But all of us are not dysfunctional to the same level. Uh, some dysfunction goes to greater extremes than other dysfunction does. So while you're never perfect, still God is perfecting us as his people. But the world defines the word dysfunction or a dysfunctional family as a family which is in conflict and crisis and abuse, oftentimes regularly. And so where, where there is conflict, every family has some measure of conflict, but where there's intense conflict, oftentimes involving violence, where there's abuse that's taking place, um, where these things happen with regularity, that is what the world means when it uses this term uh, dysfunction. And so all of us have some measure of dysfunction within us because all of us are sinners and, and, and sin has done that to us, but not all of us are, are involved in the same level of dysfunction. But what I want you to understand is that the core reason for all dysfunction in the world is this little word called sin. Sin is what has broken all of us. And it, that has primarily manifested itself in relationships. Sin breaks our relationship with God, and sin breaks our relationship with each other. And so therefore we have this, this barrier and this problem. Now, depending on the kind of family that you came from and the level of dysfunction within your family, it will probably determine how you feel and how you relate as a part of this thing called the family of God. At least to some degree, it will. So some believers, and this is just by my observation, because they've experienced dysfunction in their earthly family, maybe to a large degree, they pull back then from any kind of family relationship, even within the body of Christ. So they have no connection, close connections with other people, and even when they come to Christ, they keep themselves kind of walled off because of the hurt and the pain that maybe they've experienced by the family they grew up in. But this is what I want you to understand. Just because you had dysfunction in your earthly family, it doesn't mean that the same kind of disappointment or letdown is going to happen in God's family. We're not perfect in the church, but we are being perfected by the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit into the kind of people God wants us to be. We're being changed from glory to glory, says the word of God. That means we're getting better. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Tomorrow you're going to be better than you were today. Quit seeing yourself as a loser. Quit seeing yourself as someone is going down 
Start seeing yourself that tomorrow I'm going to be closer to Jesus. I'm going to be stronger in faith. I'm going to understand the word of God. I'm going to be a better person tomorrow than I was today. That's what, we talk, that's what it means in the scripture when it says we're going from glory to glory. Now, but we are full of people and people do disappoint one another from time to time. But it kind of reminds me of this whole subject of, of even fatherhood. You know, some of you may have grown up in families where your father was a tremendous example of a wonderful life. Whether he followed Christ or not, but he, he, he really was a, a, a tremendous example of what it means to be a wonderful father. And you grew up with a very positive image. Some of you maybe grew up in a family where your father was full of dis, dysfunction. And now you've come to Christ, and you hear, you hear God being referred to as your father. And, there, and because of the hurt and the pain of your past, you just kind of automatically re, repel, recoil back from any thought of God as, as a father. But you've got to remember that God is your heavenly father, distinctly different than your earthly father. No matter how good your father was or how bad he was, God cannot be compared to your earthly father. In fact, Jesus said we're to address him as our father, which art in heaven. He is our heavenly father. That means he's uniquely different than our earthly father. Earthly fathers fail. They do, all of us. Earthly fathers make mistakes. Earthly fathers have bad days. Earthly fathers respond wrongly from time to time. But your heavenly father will never fail you. Hallelujah. Ever fail you. I want you to know that God your father never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. He never even goes to bed. He never wakes up in a bad mood. He never has an off day. You never have to worry about how he's going to respond to you. He is consistently and eternally the same. It's called immutability, and it means changeless. God is immutable. He is changeless. He never changes. His character never changes. His revelation never changes. He is always, always the same. I don't know how people live with a God who's changing his revelation all the time. I'd be scared to death of a God like that. I wouldn't know if tomorrow he was going to be the same as he was today. Right? Some people act like, well, we have a, 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 we have a, a God who's a father who's always, he's given us new revelation. No. God doesn't give new revelation because he's always the same. He never changes. And you can depend on him and you can trust him and you can count on him. That's another sermon. Now, I know that the church family is still made up of human beings, but we are also people who are filled with God's spirit, people who are becoming stronger in faith. We're people who, who are becoming more like Christ every day. And I know that it's a risk to be in relationship with other people and other believers, but I want to tell you it's worth it because the benefit is greater than the, than the risk, than the potential pain. The benefit is better, not only to you, but to God 
and his church as well. So you don't have to pull back. You don't have to isolate yourself to protect yourself. In fact, I think that's why Galatians 6.10 says up here that we are to do good, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, because I think that's God saying we're to be in relationship with one another. You can't fulfill that calling unless you're in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are a family, and a family is alive, and a family is dynamic. So last week we talked about three characteristics of a strong family, and we related that to uh, a church. And I talked about these three things, uh, if you weren't here, being committed uh, to each other is important, and, and I'll pause here just a moment, which I didn't do in the first service because I thought they were all together on one slide, but they weren't, and I want to give you time to write that down in case you weren't here last week. If you weren't here last week, shame, shame, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. All right, number one, uh, being committed to each other is so important. Number two, forgiving one another is so terribly important, tremendously important. And number three, rejoicing over each other's victories. And um, we talked about how sometimes when other people are blessed and you don't feel like you are, you can get jealous. You know, how you have to fight that and start rejoicing over other people's victories. That will open the door for victories coming into your life. Okay? So I won't re-preach that point, but it was a really good point. Today I want to focus on a fourth characteristic of a strong family and a fourth characteristic of a strong church family. And I would use here the word function. A strong family has functioning members. A strong church family has functioning members. I say members, I'm not really talking about membership, I'm talking about people who are, if you consider this to be your church, God is saying as a part of this family you are to function in this family. And I'm gonna talk about that this morning. Now, one of the things that, see Carrie and I have been married 45 years. And through the course of those 45 years, we've learned where we function, where we are supposed to function. Um, so, early on, Carrie decided it'd be really good to teach me how to cook. <laughs> Within just a few days, she realized that was a, few, a fool's errand. That, that was going nowhere. Uh, my idea of cooking is going to McDonald's. All right, so thank God for takeout. Hallelujah. But um, she, so, so we got over this idea that, that she was going to teach me to cook because I don't care about doing that. I don't like doing that. Now, some of you guys out there are tremendous cooks. God bless you. But not me. You know, that... We learned really, really quickly that she is, that's her function. She's good at that. And man, that, you know, she helped me get over anorexia, you know, and, and I just blossomed right on out because, because of the wonderful function of, of her cooking for me, you know. But what we learned I was good at that she wasn't good at is mowing the yard. And I know you're saying, well, it's because it's dirty and everything. And yes, that, that's part of it. And I, I, I do that so she doesn't have to. But there's another real truth to that. I'm better at mowing the yard because she's done it a few times when I haven't been home or when I've been, maybe had an operation on my foot or whatever and I couldn't do it. She, she did it for me. She doesn't do a very good job at it. <laughs> she doesn't do a good job at washing the car either. You want to know why? Because she's not a detailed person and I am. 
I see every blade of grass in that yard. And if when I get done, there's one of those suckers sticking up, I am after it. It will not survive the day. I have got to have that thing chopped down before the end of my task because I'm a perfectionist. And I see those things in the yard. Her, if you get 90% of the grass mowed, that's good enough. Who cares about the other 10%? I do, you know. Me, if, if, if you go to McDonald's and throw a Big Mac on the table, that's good enough. Not to her. You've got to have a good, nutritious, healthy meal. And that has to be provided. See, we have different, we have different uh, uh, giftings and, uh, and different functions. And so what I'm saying is that a strong family knows how to function with one another. I'm really good at taking out the garbage. See, I don't know how it is I get those kind of jobs, honey. <laughs> and you get to make the bed. I don't know. But at any rate, we do what we're good at. That's how a strong church family operates true as, as well. It is, is that it, we, we don't have the same function, but all of us have to function. Because if all our family did was make meals, we'd have a jungle for a yard. And it'd be an embarrassment to the church, and it'd be an embarrassment to my neighbors, and they'd run me out. But because we each function, do you see what I'm saying? We each have our part. So what makes a church strong is when the, the, uh, the people who consider themselves a part of that church are functioning. We don't all do the same thing, but we all do something. So what does that look like? Well, again, I want, scripture, I want to go to Scripture to give us a picture of all of this, and I want to talk to you about three things. Number one, our function is our ministry. And when you think about how God wants us to function, you go over here to Romans chapter 12, and it gives us uh, Paul's writings here, a, a beautiful picture of what... Um, of what our ministry is to look like. So verses number three through eight, he writes, as God's messenger, I give each of you God's warning. Be honest in your estimate of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. Now, before I go on to verse four, I just want, I want to reread that because I'm going to reference it again later in the message. It won't be on the screen, but I want you to remember it. Verse three, as God's messenger, I give you each of you God's warning, be honest in your estimate of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different work, uh, have a different work to do. Uh, so we belong to each other, and each needs all the others. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. Let me pause right here before I go on to the next verse and just say this. Every one of you is a 10 somewhere. None of you is a 10 everywhere. Know where you're, do you understand what I mean by that? Know what you do well and focus on it because it's probably the way God has gifted you. The world tells us in leadership seminars that we're to focus on our weaknesses and improve our weaknesses. Now, there's nothing wrong with improving your weaknesses. But if you focus on your weakness all the time and don't, use, uh, don't function in the areas where you have strength, you will never be effective in life. One of the things I've learned, whether you're talking about your job or whether you're talking about serving God, you must function in the area where God has gifted you. And don't be upset that you aren't a 10 everywhere. Because nobody is a 10 everywhere. 
You do what God has, has gifted you to do. In fact, I believe churches are like that. I think churches have areas of gifting and of strength that they need to focus on. Some people want our church to be everything for everybody. And if we tried to do that, we would be nothing. It would just destroy us. We have to know what God wants us to be, what God wants us to do. And I've had people that have come up to me and, and have said, Pastor Jim, why don't we do this or we do that or, or you know, what, whatever. And I'm not going to get into the details, but why, why don't we do some other things? And, and certainly we, we have a lot of ministries here. But all of those ministries revolve around the strength that we have as a core of God's calling to us. Not trying to be like every other church in town. We're, we're trying to do what God has called us to do. Okay, with, with that in mind, it makes us stronger as a fellowship and it'll make you stronger as an individual when you function where God has made you a seven, an eight, a nine, or a 10. Don't give the majority of your attention to the areas of life where you're a two or a three. Give your attention to what you're good at, okay? Now he goes on and talks about some ways that believers function in the body of Christ. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then prophesy whenever you can, as often as your faith is strong enough to receive a message from God. If your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, do a good job teaching. If you're a preacher, see to it that your sermons are strong and helpful. If God has given you money, be generous in helping others with it. God has given you, if God has given you administrative ability and put you in charge of the work of others, take the responsibility seriously. Those who offer comfort to the sorrowing should do so with Christian love. Now that is not a full list of all of the ways God wants us to function or to be used. There, there are other listings, as a matter of fact, in God's word that, that tell us other ways God wants to use his people. And you'll find those primarily in, in scriptures like 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians 4. There are other giftings and lists that are given. But I will tell you that even in all of these listings in, in God's word, I don't believe that's the full measure of everything that God wants to do through his people. I think that there are all kinds of little, what we might consider to be less, um, less um, I, I was going to say important, that's not, that's not it, but less significant, maybe, uh, ways that God uses us in his body. And, and I say that because there will be times that God will gift you to work in a situation for a, for a short period of time. You'll have the ability to really help in that area and he will really use you, and then as time goes by and that need is taken care of, that particular uh, gifting, so to speak, will, will kind of slip away, and maybe you'll never be used in that again. I've had that happen in my life, where things God has used me in, I've not, I've, it was a short-term thing, and I've never in my life, maybe I will in the future, but to this date, I've never repeated being used in that area again. But this is what I want you to, to understand. Paul says that there's a motivation for the ministry that he outlines here in Romans chapter 12. And he gives us the motivation in the very next verse. It's verse number 8. And this is what he says. Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. So what he's saying here is that everything I just talked about, how you can be used of God... Make sure it's based out of love. 
not out of guilt. Because guilt will only get you this far. Love will take you through a lifetime of service and effectiveness for God. I'm going to tell you that Carrie and I have been in full-time ministry since 1974. So if my math is right, this coming summer will be 44 years that we have been in full-time ministry. In that 44 years, there have been several significant times when I was ready to say, I'm done. I'm done being a pastor. I'm done being a, a, a worker. I'm done giving myself, the, you know, not because I'm trying to get sympathy. I'm just saying, and you understand, every one of you would at certain points in your life say, I'm done doing what I'm doing. You've, you've just gotten tired of it. And there are, there are challenges to every single calling that we have in our life. If I was motivated to do what I'm doing out of guilt, I would have given up 40 years ago. I, in fact, I probably would have stopped 43 years ago. I've been doing it 44, so I probably would have shut down in the first year. I would have quit if it was just guilt that was motivated. Why do I do what I do? It's because God has placed in Carrie and me such a love for God and such a love for God's people that we, we say, Jesus, we're yours and we'll be used of you. And God, we want you to let your love flow through us into the lives of other people. And so why do people sacrifice? Why do they give of themselves? Why do they, why do they use strengths and, and challenge themselves? It's because of their love for God and their love for God's people and that's what motivates them. And when you have that kind of love, wow, it's just amazing how the church body functions. So why does God want us all to function? Because it's an expression of our love for God and for one another. And I think that's what it means to be spiritually alive. You are, let me put it this way, just attending a church service every week does not make you spiritually alive. Just praying a prayer does not make you spiritually alive. We are spiritually alive when God's life flows out of us into specific ways of touching other people. When we are functioning within his body, that's how God measures our spiritual life, the foundation of our spiritual life. And you know what I have found out is that when we're functioning together, we accomplish much more than we can ever by ourselves. Which brings me to a second thought. We function better together. We're stronger together. Um, we're smarter together. Wiser, richer. When we're together, we're filled with a bigger vision because each of us contributes to that. We're more creative when we're together. If, if I would have stayed single all of my life, I think I would have flopped a long time ago. She has made me better. Hopefully I've made her better, stronger, more creative, better to, to handle issues of life. And on and on and on we can go. So the truth is, we need one another. Now I, I will tell you that I didn't always function that way as a pastor. When I was younger, I, I tended to do everything myself. And so, I, of course, I, I didn't have as large a church, and so I didn't have as many uh, people around me. But 
nonetheless, I was kind of brought up that everything comes out of the pastor and it all flows from him. And so all of my messages and, and everything that I preached, and it's not like it was bad or anything, but it was all just coming from me. It was just me, 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 and my way of seeing things and my way of approaching life and, and all of that. It was just all out of me, you know. And, but then I started wising up. And I started wising up as I began to realize that God had put a, started giving me a, a team of people around me that had incredible abilities to speak into my life and help me to improve with new ideas and new thoughts. So I started listening to what they had to say, and these people have made me a better pastor. And I am specifically now talking about the associate pastors that are part of this church, Pastor uh, Eric, who is our youth pastor, and Pastor Mark, who, who oversees Iglesia Vida, and, and Pastor Dustin, who's our campus pastor in Tuella, and, and Pastor John and Pastor Sid, who are here in this service. These guys have spoken into my life over the, the course of the years and have just incredibly improved who I am as, as a pastor. They've made me better. Uh, you don't probably know this, but every month I meet with a creative team of people that we sit down and we, we have been praying and discerning how God is leading and directing our church over the course, not just of the next week or two weeks, but over the course of months. Where do we believe God is taking us as a church? And so we meet together once a month and we chart that out, what we believe God is saying to us. And then we begin to plan and put together the pieces that make all of this happen and work with effectiveness and creativity and, and inspiration and, and just let God use us. And, and you know what? It's been amazing to me how much creativity comes out of those guys as they speak into my life. They think of things I never would have thought of because they're primarily younger and they, they see life through a lens of younger eyes than I have. I saw things real good for my generation, but I need the input of people who have a different view uh, that, that represent the, the generation that is coming up. And I think it's important that people who are older like me allow a younger generation to speak into our life because the creativity and, and the purpose and, and the vision that they have given, I just love it. There are, their ideas are so, wow. I, I, they just inspire me into greater creativity, frankly, and I just love it. Some of their ideas are goofy as, the, as you can get. I mean, <laughs> I, I just sit there and look at them like, are you kidding me? You know, so I always reserve the right for veto. Hallelujah. You know, I have veto power, you know, but what I'm trying to get you to see is that we are better together than we are by ourselves. Life Church and Life Church Dwell in Iglesia Vida all receive essentially, if you don't know this, the same message every Sunday because we are all united with the same vision. They don't preach the same sermon, but they preach on the same theme every, every Sunday. They don't just preach my sermons, they preach their own, but it's the same theme because we've learned something. When we're united, we really express the heart of God. Here's what God has to say about this over in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two can accomplish more than twice as much as one, for the results can be much better. If one falls, the other pulls him up. But if a man falls when he's alone, he's in trouble. Also, on a cold night, two under the same blanket gain warmth from each other. But how can one be warm alone? 
One standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three is even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So the truth is, I need these other pastors in my life. And I think they need me. And we balance each other. And I think I need you. And I think you need me. And I think that's the way God meant it to be because it helps us to overcome pride when we realize how much we need each other. See, if I just had it in my head that everything is coming out of me and I'm just so important and I'm so great and all this stuff, you know, the pride that comes out of that will get judged by God. So we got to fight pride. That's one of the reasons why God makes us needing one another. Because when we realize we didn't do this ourselves, we did, we did it as a team, then nobody gets this haughty spirit about him. In fact, I think, you know, going back to Romans, I reread that scripture for you. I, I think that's the reason it's in there. Before, gives, before Paul gives the list of the different gifts out of Romans 12, he says this word in verse number three, I give each of you this warning, don't think you are better than you really are. And when we acknowledge one another, that keeps us from getting filled with pride thinking it's all about me. It's not. It's all about us as a team. Now, last thing I want to share with you, I'm going to do it real quickly because I have one minute. How many of you believe I can get done in one minute? You've been here a while. You, you know. All right, but I'll get, here, I'll get it done quickly. A fun, I want to give to you a functional challenge here as a church in seven areas for 2018. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do in 2018. Number one, I challenge you to give up your rights. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. So it's not about you just coming to a church that you really like and just receiving and everything. We want you to receive and we want you to be strengthened. But understand this, in the kingdom of God, what if you are given something, you're expected to give away. You don't ever receive just for receiving sake. You receive freely who have, Jesus said, freely you've been given, freely give. All right? Number two, I challenge you to pick up your ministry. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And that's really what we're talking about here, is that God wants to use you to make his church better. Now listen, the best way for you to find out how God can use you is to get involved in our connection class, which meets the first Sunday of every month. So coming up February 4th will be the next connection class. And Sister uh, Karen Heckathorn and, and, Karen, and uh, Melissa Engerson, the two of these ladies are great teachers. They teach it during... The first service, they teach it during the second service. And for that one Sunday, you don't come in here. You go in there and you, and you find out what's available and how God may want to start using you. And I encourage you to be a part of it. But I want you to know, not out of guilt, but if the love of Christ can flow through you to help us be a, a, being ushers, to help us being greeters. Now, frankly, if you're the biggest grump in the church, don't be a greeter. And unless, unless, you're willing, unless you're willing to let God change you. Anybody can be changed. You don't have to be a grump. You can be a greeter. Alliteration going there, you know. Don't be a grumpy greeter. All right. 
Number three, I challenge you to show up to church, Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not neglect our church meetings, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing very near. So we have this online option. Do you know that we have hundreds and hundreds of people every single week that watch us online? We even have people from other countries that watch us online. You can chart those things, I guess. I can't, but uh, people who know how to do that, do that for us. We have people from India. We have a bunch of people from India that watch us every Sunday. Hi, India. God bless you. You know, we're glad you're here. At, but listen, yeah, yeah, give them a hand. But um, you got to hurry. <laughs> but if you're in the Salt Lake area, you need to be here. Now, if you're sick or, uh, you know, traveling or something like that, or maybe you're agoraphobic, you know, whatever. Uh, you know what agoraphobic is, don't you? That means you're afraid of crowds. Okay, so if, if, if you're one of those three, okay, then watch online. But otherwise, be here, because I'm telling you, you get something out of being here you do not get on TV or on a computer screen. There's a dynamic, there's a spirit, and you need that here. So, uh, show up for church. Number four, I challenge you to cheer up your brothers and sisters. Proverbs 11:25. he refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Say, I don't feel like... Uh, cheering up anybody. I'm too depressed. Well, if you want to get over your depression, you cheer up other people and God will bless you back. You've probably heard me say this before. I want everybody in our church to be on a mission every Sunday when you come together. You're on a mission to cheer up the brothers and the sisters, all right? That's your mission, is to cheer people up and to help encourage them. In fact, I want you to find the grumpiest looking person in the church and, and go over, before they leave today, you make sure they smile on the way out. You find the grumpiest looking, look around right now, who's the grumpiest looking person in this place? You identify them and you go out. Now, if you have like 50 people coming up to you after service, you may want to check your face a little bit, you know, because it could be that's a sign of something. All right, number five. I challenge you to back up your pastors. And this may sound a little self-serving, but it's, it's, it's in God's word. Matthew 13, 17, be responsive to your pastoral leaders. That means say amen when I preach. Amen. <laughs> Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the, the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership. It's not, uh, not its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? So listen, we want to be a blessing to you, but the way you can bless us back is to back us up. And this is one practical way that may happen. If, if somebody comes to you and says, have you heard XYZ about one of your pastors or your pastor's wives? Before you just believe that, check it out. Either talk to that pastor, that pa we're not perfect and we do make mistakes. But our heart is to be, is to do the right thing all the time. So if somebody tells you, have you heard that, let's just use my wife as an example. <laughs> have you heard what Carrie did? Before you believe that, check it out. Because you know, you've seen that game where you have a big circle of people and you start a rumor on this end and by the time it gets to the other end, it's all, it's all messed up. It's exactly what gossip is. And so by the time you've heard it, the facts may be totally different than what really happened. And, and, and what you're hearing is totally wrong. Make, before you believe it, 
you might just say to you, you know, that doesn't sound like my pastor. That doesn't sound like something he'd say or something he'd do. I'm going to check on that before I believe it. All right, that's backing us up. Number, uh, number six, I challenge you to offer up your tithe, Malachi 3. Uh, do, do honest people rob God, but you rob me day after day? You ask, how have we robbed you in the, the tithe and the offering? That's how, and now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. So bring your full tithe to the temple treasury so there will be an ample provision in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up the heaven itself to, uh, to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. And then number seven, I challenge you to listen up to God. Proverbs 4, my child, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to what I say. Don't ever forget my words. Keep them always in mind. They, I underline verse 22. The words of God are the key to your life. They're the key to your life. They bring health to your entire being, body, soul, spirit, all of it. Make sure, you know, I, you've seen them, people out in the world out there, they're just, their body is their God. I mean, that's a judgment I'm making, but it appears that way. And it's nothing wrong with being in good shape. I'm not saying that that's, that's wrong, but just the way they kind of present themselves and everything, it's like, I want you to notice me. I want you to notice all my muscles. That's why I wear a coat. I only give you what God gives me. <laughs> it just comes through. But you understand what I'm saying, you know? And yet inside there, there's nothing. You got it. It's the word of God that'll keep you healthy physically, keep you healthy mentally, keep you healthy emotionally, and it'll keep you healthy spiritually. It's your life. So this is what we're talking about today, is saying, God, I want to be a functioning part of your family. Now, we're not looking for perfect people. You don't have to be perfect to function. All you have to be is honest. Honest enough to say, I need God in my life, and I want God to use me. If you're honest like that and humble like that, this is what the Lord promises in James chapter 5. If you humble your heart before God, he will lift you up. And you'll end up standing on vistas and on levels you never thought you would stand because the way up is down in God's economy. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.